What's up, everybody? This is Kalen from the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. And in this episode, Philip and myself sit down with a good friend of ours, Mr. Chris Way from RifleCraft.com and the Straight Dope Podcast. Chris has been a really influential member in the community of precision shooters as of late because he brings a really data-driven approach to evaluating shooters' abilities and skills. And you can find out more about that at RifleCraft.com. We sat down with Chris and had a great conversation talking about a lot of different things. We covered a lot of ground and I'm sitting here in front of a page and a half full of notes. So I took a bunch of information from the podcast as well. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy the episode. Make sure that you're in a place where you can take notes or plan on listening to the episode twice or more to get all of the information out of it that's in there. So we hope you guys enjoy it and you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about um, your hero journey. I know you don't like to talk about yourself much, but I admire where you came from. And I think uh, people that have a better understanding of who Chris Way is, is especially for our audience, um, will will subscribe to what you've got going on, you know, kind of build your, um, I mean, build your brand and, and stuff like that. So I'd love to dive into like who Chris Way is and then talk about, uh, obviously your journey of uh, behind a precision rifle and then kind of what you've got going on with the craft challenge and uh, the new straight dope podcast that you just started. Holy shit, man. That is a, <laughs> that's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. I'm up for anything. Um, I've shit, Phil, you're one of the first people in shooting that reached out to me after Travis had a podcast asking about the loaner program at the NRL in the now extinct NRL uh, two-day league. But I was essentially coming from the position of an athlete into shooting. I had a year to recover for some injuries that, that were preventing me from doing what I had been doing. And in that time was introduced to shooting from a friend with a background that, that parallels your guys and realized that although our performance was pretty good, um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I made a list of skills, separated out the ones that were high and low, and the bottom of that was hitting targets that were reasonably small. And I didn't even understand what was happening, to, to be totally honest. Um, if you picture a standard shooting competition stage with five targets, the light kind of switched on. I was, I was with Dave Steinbach and Tom Fuller, and I didn't hit anything. And Tom said, man, you should have shot the far one first because there's a backdrop. And, and it just went right over my head that, that if you get to pick the sequence, there are things that you can do to optimize your ability to hit a target. To me, it didn't make sense that you would shoot a far target first when you had the option of a close one. N none of it made sense. I kind of nodded like, oh yeah, you're right. And, and in reality, I was like, you may as well have been speaking Swahili. They took the time, especially uh, Dave and, and some of my other friends, um, I'm, I like to name drop the ones that are in shooting, but, but avoid the ones that aren't. So um, I asked around, what, what do you do? 
you know, you, you go to a national match and there was one close by, I went to it and used the loner rifle. Um, and, and ask me about that later because, uh, I, I got a rifle and it didn't work very well. And so I used the loner rifle and then Travis interviewed me and Phil, you reached out and said, Hey man, anything you need. And, and I think, you know, if we could go back in time, you probably would not have done that because I really took advantage of re reaching out. But that, that's my personality. <laughs> you know, Frank Galley's another guy that, that I respect a lot, and he's close to me. And somewhere on an interview that he did, he said, holy shit, that guy is really aggressive. Like, I just reached out to him and said, hey, man, I want to go shooting. And meet me, you know, at this time in this place, and, and uh, let's get after it. And, and I think people are unfamiliar with that kind of um, behavior in the shooting world, but, but it's not uncommon outside of shooting where people that are really interested in something, you know, just go balls out, find the best people they can get and say, hey, man, I want to do this with you. Uh, there's, there's really a culture that, that almost seems behind the times in shooting where a lot of the behaviors I can equate to old school climbing or skateboarding and surfing where people are reticent. They don't want to talk about what they do to train. They don't want to share details unless you've passed through some gateway, right? So, um, you know, if I said, Hey, you know, I, I am a scout sniper, you know, I get the nod from you guys and now we can chat about stuff. But if I'm not, I can't get through that gate. And so I reached out to a number of people. I reached out to John Pinch can corroborate this, Jake Vibbert. And, and essentially, well, I told you guys all the same thing. I want to compete alongside you guys, but I don't know what I'm doing. And most people just laughed. And, um, and that was the start of the journey of trying to figure out where the low-hanging fruit is and how to pick that off while maintaining motivation. And in doing that, I don't, I don't think I have a reputation because I don't think most people know who the hell I am, but I try to cut through crap and ask direct questions to see, like, does it really matter? And, and um, well, I, I have a question for you. Is Bentrest actually shooting? Well, that's a great question. I. I feel like the 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 definition and the the definition of shooting to all three of us um, are very probably very similar, um, and my idea of what it means to be proficient behind a rifle or to be a shooter is probably completely different from the bench rush shooters. So, in my definition of shooting, I would say bench rush shooting is not shooting. I, I'm glad you asked that, and. It's a great point of view because everything, everything that we do with, with rifles, okay, it's, it's a tool and there's different aspects of, of competing, right? Or, and competition is really a test. It's a test of something just like a, an evaluation <clears throat> or a qualification. And people need to understand that like bench rest shooting is, um, you're actually, you are shooting a rifle, but it's not a test of, of marksmanship abilities, it's a test of the the gunsmith's ability to produce the most accurate chamber uh, that that they possibly can produce on that particular action, and then it's the shooter's responsibility and and it's their test to build the most accurate ammunition. 
that is a unique fit to that rifle's action and barrel combination. And that is really what bench rest competition is is testing. And obviously, you know, a lot of people say, okay, well, um, yeah, they're not actually shooting because the rifles are 25 plus pounds and, you know, the triggers are set very, very light. And it's not a test of marksmanship. It's a test of the, those two things, right? The rifle building and even ammunition building. But then you get into long range bench rest. Now you have a whole aspect of wind calling that comes into into play because we can't shoot tiny groups unless we read the wind accurately enough to place the bullet where it needs to be. So um, there are many different facets facets to that. And like you take a bench rest guy and you put him behind like an NRL hunter style rifle, um, you know, a 12, uh, 12 pound minus rifle and he can produce the most accurate ammunition he can for that thing it's going to be super accurate in terms of the the chamber because he's going to have the highest quality components and he's going to have the ability to read the wind but then he's most likely going to struggle in the areas of building positions on a time on a timeline um, reading the wind on on somebody else's timeline and and all of those things so I, i think that's a great that's a great point to bring up and i think a lot of people lose sight of that well, the reason I ask isn't to start shit on sniper's hide. It, it's to to say that um, there's some overlap of information, and and um, yes, I think to 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 provide a little caveat. I think that best wrench bench rest competitions are vital. They're they're the kind of thing that I would imagine the industry would have to say, you know, almost like you compete for a government project. You say, all right. We're going to put a target at a mile and whoever hits it the most wins the contract, right? Like a air to air missile, right? I'm going to fly by this drone and whoever, you know, blows it up first wins our contract. You have to have equipment that works and bench rest to me seems like a validation of equipment's capabilities. And like you said, in, in, in long range shooting, we're measuring external ballistics and if the characteristics of the equipment can be maintained consistently it's a great measure but at the end of that you have to put it in the hands of someone who's skilled and what i think is that a huge amount of emphasis goes into equipment to the to the larger community and that should be preceded by skill and and it's not that way and i think it got that way because a lot of people that are attracted to this have have more money and time than than other folks and it's easy to buy something and it's easy to buy something and justify results but the elephant in the room is skill and and the skill that you guys emphasize and demonstrate in your videos i think is is revolutionary and in, in the last year your your media content's gone way up and you've shown um well uh you know i, I you don't see a lot of high end shooters like you guys going out and publicly saying i built a tika and i'm going to show you how it shoots right because i think people are afraid they're afraid of looking bad. They're afraid of admitting that, that, that equipment that doesn't cost as much can perform on a high level. Some of that comes from the fact that they're supported. 
And some of it comes from the fact that they didn't do their homework to understand what elements go into to being able to do what you do. For me, I didn't really care about anybody else and, and, and realizing that for me to hit more, I have to be able to shoot better. And that's where the craft challenge came from. Not, not because I invented anything, but because I made a big table of advice and shooting paper at a hundred was something common to every good shooter. Uh, they don't want me to say that, but when push came to shove, <laughs> they shot positionally on paper and still do. And if you can't shoot an inch, and, and I've said this before, the Ryan Kleckner in his book was one of the first books that I read. And he said, you know, I, I'm a MOA shooter all day. And at first I thought, man, that dude sucks. And, and now I think, holy shit, that's unattainable. I think, you know, so I flip-flopped 180, you know, from thinking because you get on the internet and somebody says, you know, here's my 10-shot group that's .2. And you think, wow, that's really good. You know, I've got three times the budget to hit one MOA. Yeah, and then you get up off the ground and all of a sudden your group's an inch and a half. And you think, oh, crap, I think my scope's out of whack or my barrel or my load or something, you know, anything but me. And, oh, the wind mm -hmm. got me. And, and, and so the common thread there was people shooting paper to make sure that there's consistency across positions. And some people get really anal, right? Um, you know, sister branches to the Marines do a six-inch test. Lay down prone, raise your muzzle six inches, shoot. Raise your muzzle six inches, shoot. Raise your muzzle all the way to standing and then above standing. So like, how, how do you get up off the ground and take a shot? And, and people that, you know, are short, that, that's going to be an issue for, but um, they're getting very specific. And the specifics are that physical consistency of marrying your body to the rifle. And the only person I've heard say, you know, uh, in terms of like quantifiable information is you, Kalen, that, that, and, and you said that five thousandths of an inch movement, the buttstock can produce half inch movement on paper. And, and, and on one hand, like half inch movement on paper, that that's pretty good to me either way. But you can't just you know say that, that when you connect to a rifle, you didn't move it five thousandths of an inch, especially. Right? Three. <laughs> Especially because of the dimensions of some of the equipment, like the old school buttstock pad that's curved so that it fits around your shoulder joint. When you put that mm -hmm. on your clavicle, you're you're putting a curved object on something that's 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 flat. And so, um, you know, put a fucking surfboard on a two by four and stand on it. You're going to want it right in the freaking middle. Right. And if you put it on the side, mm -hmm. you're going to slip mm -hmm. off. And you're telling me that you put a curved buttstock on your clavicle and you won't get five thousandths of an inch movement. Shit. Yeah. Under no, forget it. Right. Yeah. And um, so mm -hmm. I, I think that that, that skill analysis is. It, it precedes everything. And if, if I had to make a prediction, I would say that. Where shooting is now is 
before the golden age of competition. I don't think people are performing at a high enough level that we could even consider PRS competitive level shooting. I don't think that we can consider what we're doing now. I think what we're doing now is laying a foundation to figure out what are the components that can bring us to a level where we can then be competitive. And I base that on looking at other competitive shooting sports like biathlon. If you know the Winter Olympics just happened and biathlon pays a lot to the athletes in Europe, at any given comp, I watched an interview with one of their Olympians, and they said that at any given competition, when they tow the line, I don't know how many people average the start of a competition, but a few hundred, there's 50 people that have an equal chance of winning. There aren't even 50 competitive shooters in the whole United States. If you look at the practice score uh, data sheet that Sheldon Nalos uh, you know, prints out, there's a maximum of 600 people nationwide that even shoot three national competitions a year, right? And, and the average is like, you know, that, in that they do three a year. But if you look at the top 150, they shoot five a year. If you took a look at the top 75, they shoot seven a year. If you look at the top 20, now they're shooting like eight to 10 a year. It's a statistical game. And when you look at the hit ratios, you can see that there's maybe 15 to 20 people that are performing consistently at a high level. The rest of it is points gained from matches that people don't show up to, right? If the three of us go to a match, great. But if I figure out what matches you two aren't going to, right, I'm probably going to get more points. And 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 if I do if I do a dozen matches, <laughs> if, or if, if I have the money to go to fifteen matches, the statistical probability that I'll get more points is 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 guaranteed. So right now it's simply just who has the money to spend, not who who has the skill. But but to go back to biathlon. 50 people have an equal chance of winning. 50 people are performing at the same physical and skill level. And the only thing that separates them are minuscule mistakes that they made because they're already functioning at a level that's perfect. So it's not saying, oh, I had a good day. I, I performed great. It, it's basically like, ah, I fucked up. Right. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I made, I made a, mistake. a mistake and that cost me. I either had to, you know, skate another hundred meters or, uh, you know, whatever, but they're doing it. They're wearing heart rate monitors and they're performing at a heart rate at 180 or above. You know, I, I, I that, now, you, you guys might be able to, to relate to that, but it's pretty hard to get your heart rate to 180. And you might think like, oh, well, I'm out of shape, so I'll get there fast. I, I don't think so. I don't advise this. I'm not a physician. And if you're going to try it, you know, go to your doctor and ask if it'll kill you. But if you got on a treadmill and just slowly increase the miles per hour till your heart rate hit 180, you're going to quit before you get there, right? And, and most of that's mental toughness. But it's very hard to get your heart rate to 180. And if you do... Can you shoot five shots in the next 20 seconds? Not let me catch my breath, but hit 180, bang, jump off, and 
shoot five shots in 20 seconds. And it, fuck no, right? Um, that requires a hell of a lot of skill. And um, I, just don't, I just don't think that, that we're there uh, quite yet. But we will be soon, you know, thanks to people like you guys that are really promoting um, well-rounded and, and, and curious shooters because it takes that curiosity to say, you know, maybe I don't need a, a 24-pound rifle, and maybe I do, and here's my justification. But, but you're not hearing people say, well, that's just what everybody does, right? I, wanted, I don't care if you have a 30-pound rifle. Shit, I've seen heavier than 30-pound rifles by guys that are pretty good, but they could tell me why. And, and I think that is very important. And that's kind of like, to, to, to answer the original question is, is like, who is Chris in the shooting world? I feel like what I love is asking why and finding the people that understand enough about themselves and their shooting to be able to provide an answer that makes sense and and try to get them to say, okay, I see that. You know, that's what I'm going to share with people and not just, all right, let's go out and, you know, do what everybody tells you to do. Because there's there's a couple things that stood out around the time that I met Philip. One was, oh, you're new to shooting, go RO a match. Fuck that shit. Are you you have no sh- business going <laughs> to a match and ROing. You I uh, I'm so glad you guys, that you said that. I'm so glad that in, you said in that. In a in a sniper in a, in a, in a <laughs> you know old school traditional sniper context who's the spotter the newer shooter or the, the senior most experienced shooter? one the, the most experienced the most experienced yeah, because it's hard as fuck to yeah. tell what the hell goes on down range glass is shitty there's mirage there's wind there are all sorts of crazy ass things the angle that the glass is behind the i mean it it goes it transcends my knowledge other than the last person you want calling shots is a new shooter and saying, Agreed. well, it brings new shooters into the sport. The last fucking thing that person is ever going to do is come back because every shooter is going to yell at them and say, I hit it. I hit it. I hit it. I hit it. And then, so then the culture is don't argue with ROs, right? Because you know, there's some shooters girlfriend or, or kid or something like that. There, there are things that, are so unusual and peculiar in shooting, right? So the first one is if you're new to shooting, don't don't go RO because you're going to get yelled at. You're going to realize you don't have any business being there and you're just going to want to leave and 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 I think it's it's a little bit crazy. Second, going to a match without doing a few things prior is going to be a terrible waste of money because it's fucking expensive, right? And, and I was just talking with a guy who's been around a long time, and he asked, he said, you know, how long do you think it takes to, to get to a high level? Is there a time, money, threshold? And, and, and I didn't put it in a spreadsheet or did do a financial analysis, but, but I threw out the number. You know, I think three years and $50,000 is probably the threshold of most shooters to, to getting trophies kind of regularly. And, and I, you know, that, that, 
that's from looking at the the practice score spreadsheets and how much I know some shooters train. Now, now I think you could do it faster. I think you could do it slower because a lot of it's time on task. But but there is kind of a, a initial commitment, assuming you know what you're going after. And you guys probably saw it, but um, Eric Cortina just put out a video where he interviewed. I can't remember the dude's name. Uh, I got notes here somewhere. Who the who the, who the hell's the guy? Uh, Chad Heckler. He won the AG Cup, and 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 your listeners probably don't even know what the AG Cup is, and I didn't know who Chad Heckler was, but he interviewed him, and and he basically said like he's got a personality that that resonated with me. He was a not shooter, and decided he wanted to do it. He had time and money, so he built a ten thousand dollar rifle, and for the last five years is trying to win matches. But it, it take, took him five years to to invest in this and so then if you get on practice score and you look at the number of matches and you say okay it's probably two thousand dollars a match in the east coast it's probably cheaper because you you got a lot of local ones and stuff but um you know just just generalizing if 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 it's taking people you know 25 30 matches uh plus gear and time you, you know whether it's two years or three years or five years that, that that doesn't matter but there's a number of matches that you need exposure to and I, I think the shortcut is take a new shooter take a class with you guys right go to a local match figure out where your weaknesses are go back to take a class go back to a local match and when the local match when it starts to make sense then go to a two-day match uh uh, you know, against the um, kind of standard response, I don't want to match in a two-day match aren't that much different other than your ability to shoot well for two days. But if, but if you're consistent then and you don't make mistakes, it'll be a lot cheaper to do something like that in the long run, considering that at least the people I know that are trying to climb through the ranks are spending fifty, sixty thousand 60000 a year to do that. You know that to me, it seems like there's better uses of that money, right? It's almost like you want to put out a, a coaching program or, or your guys to say and say like, look, if you spent fifty thousand dollars last year and you didn't get a trophy, give me a quarter of that and I'll cut your price in half. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you're already going to spend fifty thousand, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll guarantee that I'll get you a trophy in less than a year for half that price. Um, because it, it, you know, it, it, it's not that complicated. Um, real shooting, you know, right? The the fundamentals and building like a well skilled, diverse marksman is way harder. Yet there is a price point that you can track in these small disciplines. And I, you know, anyway, I think that 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 is really interesting. And it's cool to see you guys putting out the video to try to dispel some of those myths and say, you know, here you know, we're not necessarily teaching you how to get first place, but we are. And we're teaching you to be able to adapt to scenarios that are different than a flat range. Those skills will carry you for the rest of your shooting career. And it's at a fraction of the price, right? And for most people, dollars make a difference, you know? Um, and, and, um, that hasn't quite spilled over into the industry yet. And I think that, that that's 
going to happen event eventually you know i mean there's there's some products that that totally suck like there's some east coast chassis companies that pump out garbage but they have good media budget and um you know you're starting to see fewer and fewer of them because they're always fucking broken and going to a gunsmith and who you know nowadays who doesn't want to just buy a part screw it together and go right um you know i'm shooting just prefits that i could do all the all the work basically at my house and um nobody nobody wants to you know buy something and then spend another thousand bucks to have it fixed and you just want it to work right <laughs> and so that you could get back to mm. learning how to shoot and I think that if you're going to treat shooting like any other sport, it requires a coach. And that coach needs a trained eye and experience. And, and that's why I pick your guy's brain basically every day because you guys are those trained coaches. And I'm not saying like um, <clears throat> that, that, that is priceless, right? You know, what, what am I doing wrong? And, and you see a video and you go, oh, here's what you're doing wrong. And that's the test. Like, right. If, if, if you're shopping for an instructor and you send them a little video and they can't immediately pinpoint it, then you need to ask somebody else. Right. And I know personally firsthand that I've sent you guys both videos You say, here's what you're doing wrong. Try this. And it was like, Oh, hell yeah. And that comes from time watching other shooters time thinking about your own shooting and investing in real knowledge. And, and that, I think that's where the price of an instructor that's good uh, outweighs any other approach. And, and that's how you vet them, right? You don't just say, you know, here's this dude that karate chops a pistol and does a backflip and I'm gonna go take his self-defense class. You know, you need, you need somebody to look at that and say, here's what you're doing wrong. And then I see that I was improved, I trust you. Right. You know, Chris, what I appreciate about the questions that you send me is that it, it forces me to, like you said, look at my own shooting and also look at the way I deliver information to people that are very analytical. Um, cause I know that, uh, I, I definitely get into, um, situations where, again, I've heard the same question and there are usually cookie cutter answers, right? Where it, now it just becomes, um, a regurgitation within myself. Um, but then when you ask me something, I'm like, Hmm. Right. Or, or like you, you'll hear the response and then you'll dive a little deeper. And I know you're doing it out of, again, curiosity, but now it's like, man, like he's got something there. Right. And so what that allows me to do is like, go back to the drawing board and be like, shit, what is it? What is it that I'm doing? Right. And what is it that I'm teaching my students? And, and it helps me stay sharp as, as a, uh, as an instructor and a communicator of information. I think it's super important that like you, you were able to identify, Hey, we need to, when you, when you're looking for a coach, um, or a teacher, you, you are looking for that diagnostic aspect. Um, I've talked about this before. Um, I, I took a class with Mike Seeklander as a, as a pistol shooter and Mike is not only a phenomenal pistol shooter in terms of his ability to um, be extremely accurate, but also incredibly fast and fluid. He's also in really, really good at diagnosing issues with shooting positions. And 
as a as a handgun teacher that is absolutely necessary i mean like you have to have a deep deep bag of tricks of diagnostic tricks to be able to help a shooter progress and <clears throat> when you have when you have the experience and you're able to take the deep dive i think it's i think it it's indicative of having questions like the ones that you pose chris because you you are very data driven you're a scientist right so you understand that that data is the answer to many, many questions, but we have to look at the data. And so what you have the ability to do is, is present really, really intelligent questions um, that are articulate, that it makes our job kind of easy, if you know what I mean. Like we, okay, I get what he's asking. Now it's like, okay, let's dig into it because, and, and it's exciting for us because we're like, oh, cool, man, this guy actually, he has an idea of what he's looking to accomplish. And instead of going, well, I just want to hit more targets. It's like, well, no shit. We all want to hit more targets. We have to start from someplace. And being able to to have good questions posed in conjunction with somebody who's versed in, in diagnosing these problems, that really steepens the learning curve in, in, in a, in uh, a lot of ways. Real quick, um, one thing I did appreciate about one of our students that, that uh, came through our last class, uh, uh, Tyler Anderson, I He's um, a physical therapist, and um, one of the things he said during his introductions is like, I'm here to um, figure out what I don't know and to be able to, to ask the right questions. And I thought that was that was pretty pretty cool. That I've never heard them say uh, someone say that uh, in regards to their um, learning uh, or their journey of learning. Well, it takes a little knowledge to understand you know, where, where the, the, where the meat is, right. Or I call it juicing things, but, but like you need context to ask the right questions and, and, um, you know, just, just like everything, just, just like earlier when, when I said, I felt like shooting wasn't yet at a competitive level. And, and I mean that because in most competitions, you've you've weeded out the general skill development cycle to, to people that not only have time, but also have talent. So, like, if I wanted to be an Olympic gymnast, you know, I, I, I don't I couldn't <laughs> because I don't have that talent. And at this point, enough people have come into that world where they have both dedication and talent. And, and that combination has, has, has kind of raised the bar to, to where it is. Same thing with, with all high-level athletics. And at this point, anybody could win the AG Cup. Anybody could win a PRS match if they put in the time. And, and that, that's why I think, like, man, it has nothing to do with talent. Right now it's more money and time. But it will if we keep pushing it in the right direction. And, and the way to bring more people in is to make it less intimidating, right? Don't put them, don't set them up for failure. I think it's not surprising that um, very few people go back to a second national level match, right? Because they didn't have a good experience and they didn't really get much out of it. And that actually is why. I started the the straight dope podcast, you know, not not 
because there aren't a lot that I listen to, but there's a niche that was missing. And rather than sending you guys messages to say, hey, you should talk about this, you should talk, I got kind of tired of telling people what I wanted to hear. And it's like, well, who the hell cares? Because <laughs> I can use examples from media. It doesn't have to be me demonstrating it, you know, especially because I don't really have a niche of my own, right? I'm not, I actually just picked a new goal, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, you, you have to have an outlet and you have to have sources to be able to extract specific information. And if it's general skill building, there's plenty of people, like I, I don't want to be a coach and I don't want to teach shooting. Um, but I want to know the guys that do and, and understand you know, where they're coming from to, 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 to try to you know, you know, create a culture of, of growth. And I think it starts by, by backing up and, and you know, in, in your own way, you, you saw that ahead of time because you created a, a, a place or whatever you would call it, a, a community on your own website that said, look, you can go a million places to talk about shooting, but if you really want to just talk about getting better, come to Modern Day Sniper and be a part of, of that community and engage there, but, but leave all the other shit at the door, right? At least that's my interpretation. What that sounds like to me, which is what I've, uh, the, uh, 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 a switch that I made is there's a local shooting league. I had never done a, a one-day match, but there's a, a pretty active local network, the Wyoming-Colorado League. And I thought, man, if, if you're really going to grow the culture and community of shooting, A, it helps to do it in person, and B, it starts on the one-day level by providing people a good experience rather than a negative experience, and they encourage more than a sterilized um, course of fire, especially if people are coming from diverse interests. You know, if there, um, there's however many shooters in the country, you know, this last year because of COVID, they say, oh, 12 million new gun owners. Um, you know, so just just thinking in that context, there's, tw there's 12 million new gun owners. And they don't know what the hell to do with them, right? They're scared or they're curious. And if they come to a match, you're probably not going to get anywhere by saying you need to start doing, you know, this and this and this. Rather, you, you, you know, you find out what, what their interests and applications are. And if, it, if it's general enough where you appeal to hunters and new people, curious and competitors and tactical shooters, where they all have an outlet, now you have a way to build something that appeals to everyone rather than very few. And at a high level, you have to kind of do the opposite. But at this point, there just aren't enough people that that you can f do anything with, right? So um, at the local level, you can have like a tactical style stage and a hunting style stage and a and a and a precision style stage all in the same one day match, and people talk about it. And you know, here's why this works, and here's why this doesn't, and it distributes the scores across a broader set of skills and and I, and I and I think that's the path forward and and so I think that talking about what are the skills that we need so that people that put together one day matches could say you know what I'm going to have an offhand stage and I'm going to have 
uh, rapid target engagement stage and I'm going to have a target ID stage and I'm going to have a no dope stage or a, or a analog stage. And it, it's not to screw anybody. It's the complete opposite. It's to encourage creativity and kind of shine light on elements of shooting that are one more difficult, but two, probably more realistic and three, give people an appreciation for the context that's out there because it's hard for a competitor to, you know, be introduced to a sniper and, and not judge them and vice versa because they're put in a specific scenario where they're supposed to be kind of, um, you know, opponents rather than there to celebrate like, Oh, you know what? This is pretty cool. It would apply in this context and vice versa, but we don't, we don't do that. We only say like, how fast can you shoot, you know, a 400 yard target, you know, and can you build and break a shot in five seconds? And, and, um, it would be pretty cool to say like, Oh shit, I didn't realize that. Um, let's build a stage that introduces people to that problem because um, one of those light bulbs went off doing a qual like, you know, like a, a sniper kind of thing where, where it's unknown distance, unknown number of targets. It, it, you have a fucking crazy ass short time hack to locate range and engage all these big ass targets. You think that's going to be easy as hell, you know? And then you're like, Oh shit, there's 20 targets and I can't range and dial and dope and do this and do all that stuff. And so you get whatever, 10 shots off, but then somebody gets 30 shots off. You know, how the fuck did they get through? Because that's another element of shooting that's very important and underappreciated. And then that same person that got 30 hits, you know, gets, misses three shots on a PRS barricade. And they're like, ah, that dude sucks. You know, it's like, no, it doesn't suck. It's a skill you haven't developed. <laughs> You know, it's like, watch me break dance and, and, you know, like there's things that if you don't, if you don't invest time in it, it's pretty obvious that, that, that you didn't invest time yeah. in it. And, um, that, that's where I think there's a lot of cool opportunities moving forward is that you build these communities, you talk to each other and you say, you know, what, what's really important. And then how do we share these ideas and cross pollinate rather than judge each other and, and try to stay, you know, balkanized, let's create something that, that measures broad skill set development so that you could say, man, you know, I went to this club match and there was 10 stages and, you know, two of them were fundamental stages and two of them were gear and time management stages. Two of them were mental performance stages. And two of them were accuracy and precision stages. And then you could go home and say, you know, I always do really well on the mental ones, but my accuracy and precision isn't very good. I'm going to work on that for a month or two. And, and, but that's not how it works, right? It's like, um, and, and because I'm you know, not invested in an outlet and I feel really free and comfortable saying that would be cool and something that I'd want to get into. And that's the idea of the internet and podcasts and stuff. It's like 
you make the world you want. If I can throw something in there, Chris, on that, like I, I couldn't agree more with like the stage design aspect of things. I think that um, with, I think we can all agree that the that the talent pool is getting extremely deep. Meaning, there are there are a lot more shooters out there, and you know, just just to throw this throw this out there, like I, I don't hang my hat on um, being a proficient competitive shooter. Like that's not that's not how I learned how to do this uh, how to do this sport. It's or 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 shoot in this discipline. Um, I learned through different ways. And so I would use competition to validate training and validate skills. And I just happened to be, I just happened to be talented at it from a, at a certain level. And so that allowed me to be, to, to place well at these events. Now as time is moving on, like, like you said, it, 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 now it has to do with how much time can you dedicate? How much money can you dedicate? And what are you getting out of that? Right. So my, my position is like, I have to ask myself all the time, do I want to be, do I want to be a competitive shooter, a proficient competitive shooter, or do I want to have a well-rounded set of skills as a, as a teacher and a coach? So that way, like you said, we can, we can start to, um, we we're able to say, oh, you want to do really well at a, at a hunter match? These are the skills that you're going to have to work on. And these are the skills that I can help you uh, fine tune. Oh, you want to be a really good PRS competitor? Fantastic. Let's get let's get on the line with Philip. He's a, he's a phenomenal competitive shooter in that realm. Let's let's utilize let's leverage that. And so, when it comes to setting up stage designs, I think that with this the the talent pool being so deep, match directors are kind of like. Hey man, I have to make this really. I have to make this challenging because I have, you know, if you look at the scores from first place to fifteenth place, is like six freaking hits in in the current scenario, right? In the current t- scenario of of the level of talent in that in that uh, in that lineup that shows up to the match, and so the match director has to make sure that those stages are designed, and you know looking at it from the perspective that you just stated, Hey, we should have one, one stage that tests the ability to have, um, you know, really, really fast engagements, uh, test the shooter's ability to manage their equipment with time, test the shooter's ability to manage their mental, their mental game. And sometimes those are not clearly delineated or differentiated. And I think that, um, that's something that, that is, potentially lacking and I'm not trying to throw stones here or anything of that of that nature but I think that when it comes to setting up a, a, a well-rounded match you have to have people that are there to, to develop those stages that have a well-rounded background and say this is what we're going to mm-hmm. test people on yeah I mean exactly I think you put yourself in a you put yourself in a really difficult position as an instructor because you have to appeal to a broad group of people so you have to maintain that diver and that's the that's the issue right do you have a big base or do you have a narrow peak and i think you know now you can kind of have a high level base without that specialization and and that's that's why you guys are at the top of the instructor game because you're able to do that so like <clears throat> you know, from, from law enforcement. So from the professional side of the house, um, trying to develop, 
stages or trying to develop drills on the professional side of the house where it's like, how are you going to train a sniper for urban combat if you've not experienced it? What does that even look like? What happens when you have multiple targets of opportunity inside 400 meters and you're in a confined space, you only have so much movement, you only have so much uh, that you can do in terms of creating a position and you have the chaos of everything else going on around you, how do you actually test a shooter to be able to do that? Well, you have to you have to have been exposed to that in order for you to go, hey man, like I know that you think this is how it's gonna go, but I'm gonna tell you how it's really gonna happen. Like it's gonna be fucking chaos. And you're not gonna have chances to range targets. You're not gonna have chances to to do these things. So a lot of the intuitive aspect of shooting has to come out. However, then you also have to be able to take that same professional shooter and go, all right, what happens if you're managing a, what happens when you're on a, on a vehicle checkpoint and you're providing long range target interdiction overwatch to create standoff? Well, that's a whole different set of skills than multiple target engagements inside 400 meters on running targets and, and limited exposures and things like that. So it is a, it, it, you have to have a well-rounded background in order for you to, to, to train people and to, and to show them, hey, these are the skills that you're gonna need for these typical scenarios. Yeah. But you do that best with a team, right? The teams sure. of the right people can outperform you know, the, the sum of the individuals, right? You brought to mind something that I've been mm -hmm. reading about and I was gonna do a cast on it, but, but I'll talk about it here. Um, I'm going to have to lead into it a little bit, but, but it's exactly what you mentioned. I think um, it, it might be far-fetched. You, you have a hundred, you have a hundred percent attention, right? How you use it is up to you, right? Just like you have time in the day and people, um, mental toughness stuff is, is something that I was involved with for a long time in terms of, you know, accomplishing goals, like um, whatever they are, something hard you want to do, and you're going to get weeded out if you don't have real dedication. If you don't really want to do what you want to do, it's pretty easy to weed somebody out, right? Get them cold and hungry yeah. and they'll quit because <clears throat> they want to go home and snuggle. And, um, but, but you have all the time in the day to get stuff done. You have all the attention in the day. And you say, well, I don't, I don't, um, if, if there are distractions that are utilizing it, you know, kind of like your computer, your phone, um, if, if there are apps running in the background, you're, you're slowly losing the ability to perform some tasks, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a, a urban sniper or anything like that, but if you, if you just took a random person and, you know, threw them into Ukraine right now, most of them are going to get overwhelmed and start paying attention to things that don't matter to the people who are trained, right? You're going to be looking for specific movement patterns. You're going to be looking, right? Like, um, you know, if, if there was video footage of Grand Central Station and there's a bad guy in there, you could tell a lot of times just by their body language that they're up to no good, right? You speed it up, slow it down, you look. If, if somebody has 
like, you know, I'm going to get this thing or I'm going to mug this person. They don't swing their arms. Their cadence is very controlled because they're focused like a predator, right? And if if I'm going to, you know, somebody and say you're you're looking for a lot more, but but somebody that's not initiated into whatever those particular outlets are, they're not looking for those cues, and it's pretty easy to be overwhelmed by like loud noises and 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 visual distractions that aren't really what you're looking for. You're you're probably looking if you're doing counter sniper stuff, you're looking for for screens and small you know, how deep is that building? Cause you know, a good sniper is not going to be fucking standing in a stupid window with his barrel hanging out of it. Right. Um, but, but that's not what a civilian's going to look for. They're going to, they're going to be looking for like a, a rifle hanging out of a window. Right. And, 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 and so you have a certain amount of attention that you can devote to something, but in order to devote a large amount of attention or energy or what, what you know, whatever you want to call it, you have to free up all those background apps that you have running in your mind and your awareness. And the only way to do that is to become extremely competent at those things such that they don't require any effort, right? If I say read this book while you're juggling and balancing on a ball, it's going to be hard to do. But a circus clown could do that all day because they devoted that time to it. Now, if we teach them to shoot a bow and arrow while doing that, you know, they're going to be the world's greatest juggling monkey balancy ball bow and arrow shooter because the, they can do all that stuff in, in the background. So here's this article that I think proves that um, in the journal of uh, I've been reading sports psychology. And, and here's a study that not only validated past studies, but they do, they do it with dart throwers because there's more dart throwers than precision rifle shooters. Uh, so if throwing, throwing darts yeah. is tough. Well, and it's a, obviously a bigger competitive <laughs> pool. But, but I think that, that you could make those sure. cross-field um, connections. This is like proven science. And so the people can't throw their, you know, um, ding-dongs at the, at the computer screen while they're listening to this. They took a, a group of people and they videoed uh, competitors at, at professional dart throwing competitions. And what they videoed was their pre-stage, you know, th a few seconds before the RO said, time starts now, right? Uh, at, at like, you know, the highest level of dart throwing competitions, right? Which I would argue is, is equal in terms of skill because it's aiming and doing you know, fundamentals of, of marksmanship. So they took, they took, you know, uh, just under 50 clips of dart throwers at the highest level, right? So the AG cup and they filmed these shooters or these dart throwers on their pre-stage facial expressions. And the people that were uninitiated were able to predict who the top performers were and who the low performers were from four seconds of facial expressions <clears throat> leading into the stage. They haven't shot, right? They haven't thrown their darts. What that means is, that, you know, these guys are at the, the you know, the 
you know, whatever, World Cup of dart throwing. So they're already good shooters. But what this means is you can see in someone's nervous system the amount of preparation that they put into it and their subconscious competence expresses itself before they step on the stage, right? That, that's proven, right? It's science. It's nonverbal communication expressing itself to people such that they can look at these videos right before time starts now and tell you who's going to win or who's going to be a top performer and who's going to be a bottom performer. And that means that you, they've invested the time to, to kind of offload um, all of the things that aren't necessary such that you can see it in their, their facial expressions and, and in their, their prep time. So the takeaways from this are that your nervous system knows whether you can do something or not beforehand and it's predictable. So the outcome is almost predetermined, which sounds fucking crazy, right? You know, like, oh, the wind got me. Well, I don't think so. Your preparation got you. And you need to lay down that preparation in order to perform at the best. And your body knows that subconsciously. So you're your worst enemy on a couple fronts. One, developing the confidence in your training such that when you step up to the line, you know you're going to hit the target. Right? And if you listen to that Eric Cortina video of this Chad Heckler guy, he said, hey, well, what, you know, what do you do? And he says, um, well, I plan to hit the target. And, and that sounds cocky, but at his level, he's prepared to the level where he knows he's going to hit the target. And he's not looking to where he's going to make a correction from a miss. He said that he looks to where his hit was on the plate and he corrects the next shot to the center of the plate. And from that center hit, he makes the rest of his corrections. But he said he got there by doing a hundred to one dry fire practice. And his dry fire practice is replicating stages from prior events. Now, now that, you know, there, <clears throat> I'm not saying, you know, it, it seems like it's easy to harp on competition or fall back on it as like, that's the outlet, but we don't have video of snipers. We don't have video of law enforcement stuff. I mean, it's, it's getting more common because everybody films everything. Um, and there's cameras everywhere, but this is valuable for all shooting, right? It's valuable for hunting. It's valuable just for going to, you know, shits and giggles. If you replicate start to finish and rehearse that, you start to iron out all the kinks such that when push comes to shove, you don't spend energy or attention or anything on anything that isn't useful towards your desired outcome. In this particular instance, the desired outcome is I'm going to hit the plate, but I'm not exactly sure where I want to correct it to center. That kind of confidence comes from doing the repetition and understanding that there's a lot that goes into it that you have to offload. You have to outsource so that you can really devote that attention, attention to uh, doing it, right? And your guy's um, slogan of, of um, subconscious competence is, is saying exactly that. But to, to be subconscious 
it requires conscious repetitions and then help from somebody to say, all right, you know, you got this, but now you need to do this and look for this. And now you need to do this and look for this. And you start stacking those rather, you know, instead of, okay, I hit the target sick. I'm awesome. I'm going to hit the next target. I'm going to hit the next. And it's like, well, no, you hit the target, but that's just the beginning, right? Where'd you hit it on the target? Well, fuck, I don't know. The target swung. Well, that's the next skill you need to work on is seeing where you hit the plate. And, um, I watched, I didn't know who he was, you know, and I Googled him and he has a couple videos on a YouTube channel called five by five something or other. And it's just basically him cleaning a couple stages, but they're raw, right? And raw video I think is juiceable. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not fat free food. It's, it's got all the nutrients that you need. So you watch raw footage of a stage and it shows him, he holds his, he holds his rifle in his bag exactly the same before every stage It's pretty funny, but you could tell he practiced it, right? He put in those 10,000 hours and then more often than not, he puts his rifle down and uses a tripod rear to really fucking clamp the shit out of that thing so that he can exactly see what his wind call is going to be. And then he leaves the tripod and goes and does the rest of it. But he gets that data that he needs. And at that level, he knows he can shoot. But if there's a tweak, he does the, um, what I call like the competitor free recoil, which isn't just shoot the gun, but, but you, it, you can tell it's not, um, he's not really leaning into it because the rifle moves. Um, not for his first shot though, right? He gets his wing call with the tripod rear and the damn thing is vice down, bang. And then he moves stages and he just takes his bag with him. But that that's what I call juicing video for the things that you're looking for. And I think when most people watch footage like that, they're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, um, you know, who makes that bag and what pants are you wearing? And, um, you know, <laughs> all sorts of crazy shit. And it's like, no, dude, the juice there is his first shot is tripod rear and then he ditches it for speed. But he has a good wind call. Right. And, 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 Mm -hmm. and, and, and that kind of eye is where, you know, media is really valuable as an instructor and it's valuable to know, like, as you gain skill, you need to layer in new areas of focus by, you know, offloading other areas of focus and, and, um, you know, like a Tai Chi person that can like put his hand on your chest and say, your big toe is too tight, uh, or, or whatever, you know, um, that takes time and practice. And it also takes not diving into rabbit holes that prevent you from, from doing that. I think that that's, um, to make a, you know, a really short story long from what you had mentioned about, um, you know, what, what do you invest in and where are you going to learn from? Well, you've spent time in environments that have given you the ability to see things that other people can't. And you, you can't just say that and have it sink in, right? You have to live it. It has to become something where you're able to offload the unimportant elements so that you can add more bandwidth to the ones that matter but but that requires coaching right or mentorship and experience right because you can say it all day and all night but people can't you just can't do that right like oh just throw just hit a bullseye 
great. You know, what do you do? Well, I just hit the target. <laughs> well, shit. You know, the only way to do that is to put in the time that you're able to offload it, right? So that, that's why when you go teach snipers, you say, all right, cool. But here's the thing. We, you know, we all run in and you guys are paying attention to all of the things that don't matter. And these are the things that do matter. And let me show you why. And then you show them why. And then they go, okay, cool. Next time they run in, they've got more energy focused on the right things and less energy on the wrong things. And, and, and I think it's up to us as a community of shooters to decide what the future looks like. Is it, you know, turbo barricades or is it more fun? I mean, shit, it, it, it's create your own adventure world. It, it doesn't have to, you know, there's no right or wrong. We could have hunter matches, which are fucking awesome. And down the road, we could have more complex hunter matches, but we could have fucking shoot through hula hoops matches. It, you know, the, the only thing that determines that is where the money goes because people vote with their wallets, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, it, you, you bring, Chris, you just bring a great, um, you bring a great thought process to this stuff, man. And, and I really, like, I'm just sitting here listening to your words and taking notes and um, I'm learning a tremendous amount just from, from listening to you. So, um the things that you're talking about are, it's funny because Philip was smiling. We did a, we did a, uh, our, our headspace hub lesson last night, uh, talking about, f um, finding your center and, and what you, what you're talking about were the, the clips of the, uh, the video clips, the four second video clips of the faces of the, of the competitors, of the dart throwers. Like that's a very, you can tell when somebody's outside their center, you can tell when, when somebody is not there, right? You can tell that they're like focused on other things or, um, and, and it's very, like if you know what you're looking for. And um, I don't know if you've listened to our episode that we had with uh, Owen Mulder on, um, he talked about, uh, he's he was responsible for helping develop the, the, uh, the combat hunter curriculum that the Marine Corps utilized to do behavioral uh, analysis from an observation standpoint for reconnaissance and sniper assets. So they were, they were basically that curriculum was saying, just like you were talking about, Hey, what are you looking for? Uh, what are the mannerisms that you're looking for? What are people typically, uh, what kind of mannerisms are human beings typically going to exhibit when they're looking nefarious or trying to do something? And it's, um, it, like he talked a lot about priming the brain and it's all interrelated. And just like, like you, I've also been reading quite a bit on sports psychology and, uh, as of late. And it really ties into uh, depth psychology, which my wife studies in, in great depth. And it's so interrelated. It's all the same. It's, it's how the brain works. And we can say, oh, you need to make that muscle memory. No, no, you need to, you need to wire your brain you need to wire it with intention. Just like we wire a house. It's like, hey, I, when I flip this switch, I want all of these lights to come on. All right, cool. Well, we have to make sure that we wire that correctly so that all those switches come on when we flip that switch. And in training, that's what we're trying to do to, com to commit those. Uh, you're trying to build a light switch. You're trying to build that circuitry. Like you said, okay, well, I'm stepping up to this event. I'm gonna flip that switch. I'm going to turn this one off and all of that other bullshit is going to get turned off. But when I flip this switch, all of these other sensory, um, 
receptors are going to are going to heighten and I'm going to be able to focus on the things that are going to help me be successful in this and little things like talking about like that dude with the rear tripod support it's genius right like make sure that that very very first shot is fucking perfect so that way I can take that wind call and use it for the rest of the stage um and you know it, that's even taking it a step further of saying hey try to find the most stable position first um, to get your win call. Well, he just took that shit a, a step further and he probably was able to do that because he was, you know, he was like, Hey, if I'm going to do this, I need to practice with this tripod rear to get it set up super fast. So that way I can get into that position, break that shot and go, fuck. Okay, cool. I need to add three tenths. That's a 12 mile an hour wind. And I'm going to take that 12 mile an hour wind for the rest of the stage until the, until the, the target tells me otherwise. Right. Which, which sheds light that's, on, all the questions of, of dry fire that, that people have, like, well, you know, do what I need this and this and this. And, and it shows you that most of the gains from dry fire are before you pull the trigger. It's the familiarity of getting into position. And why are you Mechanics. doing it? it? Just the knowledge of, of I'm doing this for a specific reason. And after which I'm changing because I got that data and now I have new data. And, and, um, but, but that comes from, he probably learned it from someone else, right? Somebody, you know, who is trying to, you know, not give away too much. Cause it's, those aren't the kinds of things that people are posting all over the place. Cause if it was, um, it would give, it would change the competitive playing field and that, and, and, um, mm -hmm. but it does give insight to, you know, probably what you see with students is that the more solid your position, you know, the better shot you're going to take and the better information you're going to be able to extract from that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, Indeed. and it just, just comes from being able to kind of scour the media for stuff that's juiceable. And then how do you take that and, and, um, you know, build what, you know, a, a path towards whatever, whatever it is that, that, that you're, that you're doing, uh, specifically. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, that's the kind of stuff that really gets me excited because, um, you know, it's, it's a new, it's a frontier that, that I think has a lot of opportunities for everybody. And I'm, I get extra curious with people that have access to students because I'm less concerned about what I do and more like, what do you, what do you see? Like what, you know, when, when, when you get a class of students, you want them all to leave better, but now you're dealing with this giant group dynamic. And so the, the pieces of low hanging fruit that can kind of raise them all, you can't give them all the same one-on-one -on -one attention. Um, you know, I, I think that that that's fascinating. And, and then some of the logistical stuff, because I'm 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 definitely like fascinated with with logistics. Like I can't imagine what it would be like to check twenty zeros and diagnose problems of of you know a rifle or two, because the quality of equipment isn't even across the board. How do you teach when it could take you know shitloads of time? to normalize the rifle so that then you could start the course of instruction. To me, that that's fascinating. And there's such um, almost like a gag 
on the culture for talking out loud about stuff that doesn't work, you know, and that's, and it's a great and you, point. You guys are sponsored, really so I'm not going to like, I'm not going to call you out and, and put you on the spot. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I shoot for XLR and proof and then everybody else, uh, and cobalt kinetics. And, um, but they, they all know that I couldn't give a shit less about saying what I think. And, what I think is there's a lot of garbage out there that people are afraid to talk about. And then there's a lot of good stuff. And right now the media that comes out makes them all seem the same. And, and that's, that's another element that uh, I haven't spent as much time on, but, but I think it's curious that, um, when you look out into a world that's that you know is driven by the the market and it's not that big but like you know high point pistols fucking suck ass and yet they sell tons of them because if 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 people didn't buy something it would disappear right so you go to a gas station and you see like you know the gas station viagra and whatever sitting there like that would be gone if people didn't buy it right which kind of head scratching like that kind of stuff <laughs> has to sell or it would disappear. And so right. you, you go on Instagram and like the, the way that they're selling some of this stuff is, you know, by paying ladies to take off their clothes and stand there with a, with a, with a pistol, but it doesn't work. Um, you know, that, that's one way. And then you get good shooters supporting products that have a tendency to not work. What, what I found is that if something's going to, have an issue it usually has an issue in like 300 rounds or less so you find out pretty quick whether something's going to work or not if you test it right but there's a lot of equipment that is unreliable out there and and i think that's a fascinating thing and you get to see that because you have access to students we we try that's a great point because Philip and I talk about this all the time. If you have one student or two, let's just say you have two students that have a gun issue and it's Philip and I at the, at the class, it's just the two of us. That one gun, if I don't identify that one gun immediately and address that problem immediately, it's going to take more of my time later on down the road. So we have, we have very specific control measures that we put into the curriculum to make sure that these things are identified quickly and it gives us an opportunity as, as teachers in that space to be able to go, okay, I need to take, um, it literally will take me seven to 10 minutes to pull a scope completely out of the rings, put it back in the rings, remount it, re-level it and get that student shooting. It takes me 10 minutes. And so I have to be able to look at that scenario and go, we're not even going to question this. We're going to move the scope. We're going to pull it out of the, we're going to do whatever it is that we have to do to fix this. If it involves taking the whole barreled action out of the chassis and starting from scratch so that I know with my own peace of mind that I saw how it was put together because I'm eliminating all of these issues, right? In a systematic way that allows me or Philip to, to get this student shooting right away. And I can see from the groups and I can see you know, pretty much immediately how a student's pressing the trigger or how they're addressing the rifle, where those issues are coming from. And that just comes from time. And once you get your, once you get your equipment all dialed in, 
everything else is pretty much the student's ability to, to cognitively process the information that we send their way um, because we've taken that time to, to develop the curriculum in a way that, that, allows, um, that allows those issues to be taken care of right off the bat. And we do things very, very systematically. Um, and it, it just, it, it has helped out over the years, especially like I developed a lot of this stuff when I was doing this as a one man show. And when you have 12 students there as, as one guy, um, you're working your ass off to make sure that the students have a great time, but you're also working your ass off to make sure that all those control measures are staying adhered to. So that way we don't get behind the power curve and, and people don't get left behind. But I will say that 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 equipment um, has gotten tremendously better over the last decade. Uh, Ten years ago, we would have stuff come into class, and you're just like, "Yo, dude, that's some bobo shit," and it's not going to work. Like I'll tell you that right now, we're just literally going to take that thing off your fucking gun, and we're going to put this on it, and, and you're going to be good, okay? And they're just like, "Uh," I'm like, "Dude, trust me. Like I've been down this road before. You're going to have a better experience going this way." Um, and it's not to try to kick sand in people's face about their equipment. It's just literally to say, if you stick with this, tomorrow we are going to have problems, right? So you could either shoot the 60 rounds today and get a ton of value out of them and learning experience from them, or you could shoot these 60 rounds today um, and fight your equipment and then have those 60 rounds that you just expended literally get nothing from them other than what mm-hmm. not to do. So, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, I mean, and even going back to the Marine Corps, like, as a, as a guy, can you imagine 32 dudes on a firing line? 32 dudes on a firing line trying to zero 32 urinal fucking scopes that were made in, like, 1982? It's a fucking nightmare. And so, you, like, that was really where I started to develop these, these control measures is because, man... Some of those urinal scopes, like if you moved the, there was no clicks for the zero. It's very similar to like a, a vortex, um, like a Gen 2 razor. You loosen a set screw and you have a main screw for both the windage and elevation. Some of those things are so freaking old that if you touch that, if you touch that Allen key, you move it like five thou, dude, that thing's going three minutes. And then there's some of them that if you move it like a quarter of a turn, it only moves it a half a minute. And so you have to be able to explain that this is how it's going to work. And, um, yeah, it, that, that's how we build our curriculum. That's awesome. And that way so that students can have a better Man, You got to get video of students saying that. Because I've been places where people have had rifle issues and they were just told, like, sucks, dude. <laughs> like, wow, man, I just spent whatever. We have, and that's it? That's my that's, response? You, you bring... You bring that up, man. We had two two students last class that that brought um, a specific barrel manufacturer to class, and um, this specific barrel manufacturer is known to have really, really inconsistent results once the barrel heats up. And these guys spend a lot of money on that. It's not even a barrel manufacturer; it's a full rifle show manufacturer. It it's a full rifle manufacturer, and and so um, I'm trying to be as as gentle yeah. as I can, right? So. Um, but a spade is a spade. And if it doesn't fucking work, it doesn't work. 
and you know, like I'm, I'm really, I have very little patience or tolerance for that stuff nowadays because look, dude, everybody should know that this product experiences these issues because I'll have a dude show up to a course that spent four and a half, five thousand $5,000 on this system. And he's looking at me going, why doesn't it work? And then you're trying to tell him why it doesn't work. And he's got this emotional block this emotional connection to the expenditure that came from his checkbook like what the why doesn't like ah no that doesn't make sense so we have the experience and the and the and the duration in this in this uh industry to be able to say no it's that it's definitively that yeah, and this yeah. is why it would be cool to have so, a check that sucks though, right? for students if, if um and and you you probably do but wouldn't it be cool to have a video um I'm stomping my foot on the ground for you, Philip. Of um, take your rifle out and do these ten things, and you know, answer yes or no. And if if any of the answers are yes or no, um, you know that you might have an issue down the road. Like you know, take you know, whatever, and uh, you know, kind of to 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 teach people familiarity with their system and why it may or may not be functioning. I don't know what they are because I don't do that for other people, but that's great. I could tell you if you take a barreled action out of some chassis and put it back together, you got to go through the whole zeroing process again. And, and some you don't and some yep. uh, scopes, if you dial up, you know, every click, there's a very small deviation and some don't such that you know if you're dialing to 1400 yards um you might miss not because you didn't have good velocity bc data but you're missing because your scope doesn't track and 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 they're saying well no no, no i dialed up and it clicked and 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 i think that there's a little bit of minutiae that that gets overlooked like well you know if i dial right or left or up or down instead of it being point one it's point nine 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 eight and at some point mm -hmm. that very small deviation starts to become visible and it could be small and it could be enough to miss a target it kind of depends on your your system or am i mm -hmm. um i saw a dude's scope fall off his rifle like it wasn't torqued and what the screws that mounted the rail onto his action had backed out but um, you know, it, it, it was undiagnosed until the whole thing just fucking fell off the rifle. And that, that kind of stuff, you just put out a challenge, like do these things. And if you have, you know, any of these results, you might have a, you might have a problem. And then here's some easy fixes and here's some hard fixes, you know, the hard fix being mm -hmm. just, you know, get rid of it and buy a new one. And the easy fix is you know, you can do these tweaks to make up for it. Um, that would be pretty fascinating to me as somebody, you know, who doesn't have all the equipment, but, but, or, or also even the knowledge. Cause a lot of times you don't know you have an issue until you have an issue and then you have an issue. And most of the time that means go home. Right. And that's an expensive yeah. lesson to find out. Dude, um, yeah, that would be a pretty cool project. It might not yep. be possible, but but uh, that that kind of 
that was inspiring to me in that way that that would be like, man, you know, it'd be cool is, you know, pre-checklist, like, you know, if I want this piece of equipment or can it do this? And then maybe even a spreadsheet of common problems with common pieces of equipment somewhere that not that, you know, that would put a big target on your guy's head, but if somebody did that, um, saying, you know, um, this product failed me X amount of times, or we see that, you know, that if something's going to go out, it tends to be this, like, you know, I think triggers are one of those things that, that have issues more than other components. Um, you know, what are the issues and how do you maintain yep. it? Like, um, last weekend I've been testing the new AI and they have that comp trigger and I'm not throwing them under the bus as, as much as trying to figure out like what, what's the real problem and how do you, how do you get around it? Cause some things you just can't get around. He said, well, my, my trigger stopped working, but there happened to be another dude with the exact same rifle whose trigger stopped working at the same time. So, you know, we squirted it with lighter fluid and washed it and washed it and washed it and got it working again. And, and if that's what you have to do every 250 rounds, or it won't work, then you know to carry around lighter fluid, right? That might not be realistic in some scenarios, but if, if that's what you have to do to keep that running, it's good to know that before you show up than it is to find out on a stage or something, if it matters. And, and those yep. are the kinds of things that Indeed. I think would be really interesting, not, you know, an, the, or the tolerance stacking stuff. Like if you if you stack too many tolerances, you have a problem. And I had a baffle strike on a suppressor after I stacked a number of tolerances. And some of the manufacturers saw a post that I made and kind of gave me shit. Like, well, it's not our fault. It's not. I'm not saying it's your fault, but I'm just saying, like, you sh as a user, we should know where we're going to run into problems. <clears throat> and and that's information that the hive mind helps. Um, get that on because I can't afford to buy every rifle and test every combination of everything there. But, but mm -hmm. as a, as a whole, people are afraid to say like, my trigger went out. I don't know what to do. This other dude's like, my trigger went out. I don't know what to do. And I was like, you know what? I have the exact same one and mine stopped on, in these conditions. Here's how I fixed it. Um, but people are afraid to share that. Like, Oh, here's a problem that's fixable versus here's a problem that's not fixable what are the fixes and and how do we get to that and why not just admit like if you have this problem and you're going hunting you know make sure that you rinse out your trigger before you go and then lube it or or or, or something and if you don't do that you're going to run the risk of or, or or you know i clean the rifle this uh, or you're going to run into this issue or you don't clean the rifle and you're going to run into this issue that would be a pretty cool table or list or set of videos that I think could guide the advancement of equipment and knowledge in terms of how to keep something running. Cause right now, you know, you watch like full metal jacket or something and it's like, okay, well I know I better clean my fucking rifle every morning and night, but it's like, why, you know, is that because my, my rifle or is that because you're trying to get me to instill discipline and that's a good way to do it. Like, you know, if I'm going to shine my shoes every mm -hmm. morning, is it, Cause it going to make me run faster or is it cause you're trying to just get me to like do busy work to get used to doing shit. I don't want to do like there's, there's probably a good reason. And then there's probably all the other reasons that people want to do that. But, but, um, I'm kind of like losing my, my, my focus, but, 
but but I think what I'm what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of things people do, that, and they don't know why they do them. And there's a lot of people that have things that are going to fail because they're not doing something because they don't know it's coming, <clears throat> and it's just a matter of time before it breaks. But if there's something they could do to prevent that, why not share? Like, you know, if if you I I I like two vets tripods and and I like really right stuff tripods, but I made a video that said like. The quick fix because you're most likely gonna blow a gasket in the leg. Just fucking ask for some more. So when it when it blows out, you just swap it out, fix it in the field, and you go. But but it's a disposable part, just like any other rifle piece of equipment. Um, you know, it's disposable <clears throat> to a certain extent. But if you see it coming, you'll be prepared for what's coming because it's going to happen eventually. Um, right. And that's not a knock on. On, on on that, it's just saying like, dude, it's gonna wear out. Just like you need to get new tires on your car every once in a while. Like, you, this is the part that's gonna fail you. And if you if you have a backup trigger, you can swap it out. But not if you have this chassis and you pull it out of the chassis and you got to go back and re-zero. Especially if they don't provide a zero place, you know, or something like that. But uh, I kind of lost mm -hmm. lost lost it here. But um, it's all good. Th this has been. This has been a, a, a hugely informative episode all the way up to, to this point, man. I've, I've just been listening to, to Chris talk. <laughs> I'm just, I've got a notepad here full of notes. Chris, talk um, to us about uh, the Straight Dope podcast and talk to us about what so far you found with the, the craft challenge. And again, for guys that haven't um, shot the craft challenge, uh, just to pretty much summarize it, it is an evaluation I mean, Chris, you could you interject here, but it's for me as an instructor tool. It's an evaluation to see how you perform uh, in um, all four common uh, positions, such as the standing, kneeling, sitting, in the prone position. Um, if you truly are a um, uh, maximizing the capability of that rifle systems, regardless of your shooting position. So, like, if you've got a half MOA rifle, in theory, with all four positions, you should be shooting a half MOA. Another thing it identifies is uh, point A and point of impact shift. Do you have a point A and point of impact shift in different shooting positions? And if so, how do you um, adjust for it? Do you make the correction on your dope if you got a 400-yard target, or do you just, you know, dial your dope regularly and and send it and hope that you connect? So, how did how did I do on that one? Good, good. I think um, so. What 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 Philip's talking about is is connected to a website called uh, riflecraft craft with a k r i f l e k r a f t dot com and you can download a target actually now you can download two targets and enter your impacts and it's like a an it, it's like an online shooting journal uh, i keep my paper targets and i i put them in a folder but um, we developed a way for you to shoot a target and record that and then track your progress shooting over time of four common shooting positions. And, and the reason I picked those, not because in, in your particular outlet you might run into them, but it, uh, it diagnoses issues in your fundamentals. And, and, and so if you have cross-position consistency, then you've got what I would say is enough self-knowledge to be able to correctly apply fundamentals the way that they were meant to be. And if you only shoot good in one position, 
I think that your fundamentals um, aren't aren't as well developed because you don't know what you're not checking for in those other positions. So the the concept of of the rifle craft challenge was you build a position standing take one shot and then you rebuild a position kneeling take one shot you rebuild a position seated and then you do that prone you do that for a total of 12 shots and it gives you a a, a whole shooter view at if you had to take a single shot from an unknown position what your shooting capability might be. And I, and I call that the shooter bracket. And there's, I, I understand that people use brackets and, and numbers um, differently, but I call it the shooter bracket. And the shooter bracket to me is um, not too far off of the, the circular error uh, calculation of if, if, you know, if, if you had to run upstairs or you were, uh, uh, hunting and all of a sudden um, the thing that you're hunting is visible and there's a branch at kneeling you know you know it's kneeling but you didn't know that ahead of time so how do you determine where your shot might go you're probably not going to have the bandwidth uh, to be able to say oh it's kneeling oh it's 570 yards and I tend to shoot in this direction and I tend to do this you're probably going to be really excited and you're going to dial your dope and take a wing call and take the shot. And, and so to, to, to remove some of the thought process, um, out, you say, well, all of my shots, regardless of position, fall into a circle that's a certain size. And if you want it to be smaller, you can work on it, but it's going to take a little bit of time and effort and rifle craft helps calculate that and keep track of your progress in your positions. And, and, and uh, just the other day we added the ability to color mark your position so that you could track your prone track, your seated track, your standing uh, in isolation of one another, because um, you know, certain positions require more focus than others. And then uh, it, it calculates out the shooter bracket for you and, and, and does an, a couple of other things. And, and I think that that um, goes a long way towards self-understanding. And it, it, it doesn't, it, it won't do what an instructor or a coach will do, but what it will do is allow you to track that like a journal and, and understand your tendencies such that you could explore and look for resources to fix um, fix those tendencies. What I like about that is it admits that anybody that wants to get better has to put in work. And, and a lot of people are just looking for, well, you know, I just want to shoot better. Tell me how to do that. And, and that's just not reality, right? It, it takes time and effort. And the time and effort starts when you admit in an honest way to yourself where you are. And I think this is the most honest assessment of where you are today and from that honest glimpse of where you are you can make um a concerted effort towards towards improvement and and that's just it's gonna take a certain level of commitment and a certain uh, amount of time and and i think 
that that doing that will shorten the time that it takes you to get to your goal and shorten the amount of money it'll take to get there but it, it it'll cost a little bit of your ego and and that's the feedback that i get from most people it's allowed some shooters to get trophies uh relatively quickly because they very quickly said wow man i shoot really good prone and i don't really get shoot really good kneeling and so i worked on kneeling and all of a sudden my hip probability went up and i was able to um to to do better at the things that i like to do um but it's it's um it's a loaded question because as you can already tell i can talk forever about anything and once you realize where you're at you can set ways to measure your other skills and and what i mean by that is uh you know the average shooter uh, it, it's starting to come down as more people use it but but the average shooter that's using the site is shooting about 3m away so under the most optimal conditions with with essentially zero wind in the in the calculation right a shooter can can hit a 3m away target 100% of the time but but that's not reality cuz as soon as you put it one mile wind variation you need to account for the wind number of the caliber they're shooting. And that usually opens that target up a 10th or so. So all of a sudden your hit probability on a target is below hundred percent. So if you, it, 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 and I've said this before and, and I don't really want to like over discuss things that are, you could just Google, but if you're shooting at a target that you can't hit hundred percent of the time, how do you make a correction? And, and, Great question. And, and I, I don't, I mean, you, my view is you want to shoot at a target that you can hit and, and you don't want to get used to or comfortable shooting at a target that you can't hit. And that was one of my gripes against, um, on, on training scars is if, if, if you shoot and miss and then subconsciously just rack it and make a correction. You're training yourself to take a shot regardless of whether you, you can hit it or not. And I think that, that to a certain extent, that's irresponsible um, to get comfortable with, right? So there should be a little bit of, of discomfort. And then, and then maybe you have to tell yourself like, okay, out of this context, I wouldn't do this, but in this context, I'm going to do this. And this, you know, you kind of remind yourself and that might sound silly, but if you're used to just, as soon as I have a sight picture, I'm breaking the shot, your ability to problem solve has gone out the window. And at the end of the day, we're responsible for what our bullets do. And this isn't a game that we can eliminate that responsibility from the conversation, you know, even at a competition. And so um, the shooter bracket concept is, you know, if the target is bigger than your, the bracket that you create with your reticle, right, then, then if you do everything right, you can shoot it. But if it's smaller than that, there's a chance you're going to miss. And, it, and if there's a chance you're going to miss, what are you going to do in an educated way to make a correction? And sometimes, you know, to me, sometimes that answer is I'm not going to shoot. And other options that you don't often see are if you get closer, the target gets bigger. So you can get closer to the target. You can't always do that. But there's a lot of options that aren't often and openly discussed that 
rifle craft kind mm-hmm. of opens the door for. And then those are conversations that you need to have with with shooters like you guys. So, um, you know, so so I don't just blather along for a long time. Like those those are two things that I've talked a lot about, but I haven't had real conversations with. Um, how do you guys feel about training somebody to have almost a reflex of I have an elevation hold and I have a guess on a wind hold whether or not I can hit it as soon as I get a sight picture I'm pulling the trigger like what what red flags does that raise because we're training shooters that that's okay sometimes I mean you're not training shooters but the community is saying it's okay let's go as fast as we can and you might be a 3MOA shooter but you're shooting at a 1MOA target like but that's okay cuz you'll just make a correction for me personally i want to see that i want to see that reticle if i'm unsure of the sight picture if i got a little bit of if i'm if i'm if i'm working that position and i'm not settling for a shit position i want to see that reticle sit there at my natural respiratory pause or the bottom of my breath for at least a second right so that way i can just see it sit before I start pressing the trigger because I don't want to, if there's movement in there, it just depends on the wobble zone, the size of the target and so on and so forth. But like, um, we also know what we can and can't get away with. And so that's one of the reasons that Philip and I really want students when it comes to the positional shooting aspect that we train them on the, on the, what we call the baseline positions, which are, um, a perfect, a perfectly built standing position with perfect body position. We want them to see what right looks like. So that way, when that sight picture does show up, they understand that, Hey, this is what right looks like. Number one. And number two, this is what I did with my body to get it there. Once we build that and, and try to instill that in their, in their visual process game. Now it's like, okay, Let's start improvising. Let's put them into positions where um, they're going to have to uh, manipulate their lower body to get their upper body to do what they need to do. And hopefully we're like saying, hopefully we're instilling in that, in that mental process, hey, I'm not going to accept, um, I'm not going to accept a sight picture that doesn't look like at least like this. Philip, jump in there, man. I'm sure you got other. I th- I'm sure you got a, some other points to deliver on that realm to to kind of dissect that a little deeper. Yeah, you know when I when I first look at when I first dive dove into shooting, uh, I mean this is going all the way back to uh, 2000 and um, you know 10, 11, right? Like understanding uh, the reticle wobble, and and honestly, we didn't even call it back then a reticle wobble like the wobble zone right Mm-mm. and honestly it wasn't even discussed it was like assuming that everybody always tried their best to pull their shot at center right that is the name of the game and so there was never any discussion on well like if your wobble zone is outside of the target then you need to do this it was just like hey you need to build a better position well what the f- does a better position look like or feel like right or, you know, you just get, you fucking suck, right? And obviously, it's like, obviously, I know that because I didn't hit my target, <laughs> Sorry, you know what I mean? Um, 
so I think with just understanding and, and I, and this is why I do like the competition community is, you know, when, when that wobble zone was, was first, um, uh, described, I was like, wow, I, how come I never even thought of, uh, articulating that. And then I started to realize like, okay, well, you know, as I'm practicing these things, I'm like, well, this is what I can do. And based off of this position that I build, I can keep my wobble zone within, you know, a certain parameter of the target. Right. Uh, and now, um, all I have to do is now focus on what we call the fundamentals of marksmanship, which is, you know, um, good breathing and, uh, good trigger press. Right. Um, but I think the, the sole fact of getting somebody to trust that reticle movement, right. And understand that their body connection to that <laughs> rifle completely influences how that reticle moves on target. Right. And that it's not okay for you. I shouldn't say that. Um, the uh, degree of stability that we have is rated based off of how much wobble zone that we have. Is that is an accurate statement, right? So obviously for the prone position, it's the most stable because we have the less, least amount of wobble, right? But as we get mm -hmm. higher off the ground, typically, or in a very unconditional position, that's when we start to see, you know, more aggressive wobble zones. And, you know, um, the goal is to get that wobble zone as tight as you possibly can but the uh your intended point of aim whether you're holding for wind or whatever the case might be to be at your uh intended point of impact so um what i found based off of again just diving into um the body mechanics of of, of stuff and i'm actually doing an article series on on the, the network about this is like understanding that 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 body relationship to the rifle completely influences that wobble zone and, and I'm showing you that now with the trigger cam, right? Because that's one of the biggest, honestly, the trigger cam is probably one of the, the, the best things that out of any piece of equipment that I've gotten in the last five years, probably I'll choose a trigger cam over and over again because of how much valuable content that it's allowed me to, to bring to, again, my students of like, hey, you see what I see now and now I can see what you see. I gotta, I'm gonna stop you there for a sec because I, I have a test that I want you to to help come to the bottom of i just drew a reticle right if if we got a, a wobble zone and mm -hmm. right let's say you know the targets at the center right but but mm -hmm. but i'm gonna do this target okay. and the you know if this is just a thought experiment but and you guys might know an answer but it'd be cool to see with the trigger cam right we got it on here but you're on a position where you can't maintain if that wobble Let's say two thirds of the time it's here, and then it goes over here one third of the time, right? Versus if it's even around the target, some shooters would try to time it so that bang, they shoot it there, right? Bang, shoot it there, right? Or is it just do you even up the wobble so that it's even on all sides and break the trigger at any time? It, it might not matter, like, will the shot go center, even if it appears to be here when you shoot or here when you shoot or here when you shoot. If you have a good solid position and there's a wobble, anecdotally, I'm curious whether breaking the shot at any time here with a good trigger press 
will produce a better group than trying to time it to the center. That's a that's a function of natural point of aim. So if you your your first example where you said, hey, ma- the majority of the wobble zone is over here, and then sometimes it wanders over to the uh-huh. other side of the reticle. That's that's indicative of somebody muscling and driving the rifle with muscles, <clears throat> because you can't hold that. That's why that sight picture drifts the, the completely the opposite side because you're using some sort of muscles to drive that thing. Now, if you have a if if you've worked and built a natural point of aim, and there's a wobble. Sometimes you can't get away from wobble. Sometimes you just can't get away from it just based upon whether it's wind wobble, whether it's mechanical wobble that comes from either your equipment or the barricade or support you're shooting from. Um, Hopefully it's one of those two things and not a physical wobble like that's caused by you. Um, This is all assuming that we have a good natural point of aim. The natural point of aim, if that thing is just wobbling slightly, like two-tenths on the inside of the target, I'm not even... I don't care at that point because I know that that I know that number one, my rifle shoots well enough that I can, if it's an acceptable sight picture for me to press the trigger, even though it's wobbling inside the constraints of the target, I'm going to trust my natural point of aim and I'm going to just accept the fact that I might, because I have wobble, I'm going to have a larger group size on the target. And in the back of my mind, I might double, I might question myself or I might have a little bit of question based upon whether I hit the target left or right of center. Uh, was that my wind call or was that just the fact that, you know, the, the result of that wobble happening on the target based upon when I decided to press the trigger where the reticle was? Because I really don't try to time my shots. I try not to time my shots because for me that, that just is going to manifest itself into something worse in, in regards to target panic and we don't ever want to get down to that level. That's not that's always that's super debilitating so so you're advocating for if you have wobble be in a position where the wobble is even and consistent around the target and mm-hmm. then make a w- smooth trigger press without timing it because with timing it you're going to yeah. end up influencing it you you have a higher probability of yeah. jerking it or try or doing something yes. by out, trying to outspeed your your fundamental just let it go yes. in that wobble yes cool i think i think that's i think Phillip's that's got. fascinating because you're Can you guys see that outside of um yeah yeah uh, yeah i dig it um, see if you know outside like the wind's blowing it'll move your rifle around in a way that that you don't get you know at home or at a at a, at a flat range and so being able to appreciate manage the wind wobble and trust the the result trust the process is 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 interesting and it and again like it takes seeing seeing that performed over time and that's something that you guys have a lot of opportunity to do and experience doing it yourself but also experience with students and and with the trigger cam i think that that would be really fascinating to say okay you know here's my inherent wobble it's even left and right. I'm going to break the shot, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to let it go and, and not necessarily advocating closing your eyes to, to shoot because you want to see where you're shooting. But on the other hand, like you don't, you don't want to try to time it. So how do you set it up in a way where you're not inducing error trying to time it for the center? Because I would guess that more shooters, myself included, are going to try to do it when it's on versus 
in the exact like, center. Okay, now I'm just you know I'm gonna I'm gonna make a good trigger press, and I don't care where it is because it's wobbling. Yep. It's wobbling mm-hmm. evenly. That's that, that. So what what I found is that is where you're gonna get the most consistency when you have the aggressive movements in your reticle movement. If you're trying to time on that on that on that on that pass that angle translates into your into your shot press right so typically when you see that aggressive movement you're going to see that typically on paper move your striker around typically more than i would say an uh moa i'm i'm curious to see you try to, to test that out right it's like all right hey i've got this nice tight wobble i'm okay with it not being in center as long as i press a good trigger press i'm gonna hit somewhere in that right but then I'm going to open up my wobble zone and I'm going to see, okay, well, if I try to time it as it crosses center with an aggressive movement, even though I visually think that I'm pressing on center, where does the, because of the, you know, because at that point you're essentially, I mean, it sounds silly, but it's like, it's like um, trying to press during the, the movement arch of that barrel, right? Off at an angle. And typically what I've seen is that's where you pull your shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and you're excited too because it's like, oh, there it is, and I, I mean, yeah, I mean, even before even trying it, t- I don't think I could stay relaxed. By, by the time your visual stimulus, by the by the time that visual stimulus says it's good, that rifle is still moving. By the time that impulse goes from your your eyes to go, yeah, that looks good, to the finger to press, that rifle's still moving. Mm-hmm. And so if your if your wobble's too big and you're fighting that, you're that's where Phil's talking. You're going to pull shots, and and uh, sometimes it can be counterintuitive too because if you're not paying attention attention to the direction that the wobble was going when you press the trigger, you'd be like, oh, I pulled that right, but then it impacts low left, and you're like, what what was that all about? So that's another good that's another great reason to shoot paper at 100 yards from positions. So that way you can visually see that and say, okay, you can make that correlation. Yeah. But so it's also like that's expensive to say, okay, everybody go do this. But if 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 you if you know Philip had a video like, all right, you know, I'm gonna try my best, you know, to and understand that there's there's gonna be some flinching involved in something like that. Cause we but here's some wobble and you know in 10 or 20 shots doing it that way versus 10 or 20 shots trying to anticipate it, you know, in, in, in which one has results that cater towards the results that or, or, or an application that you're, that you're, that you're looking for. I, I don't know. I think that, I think there's some, some value in there, even though it's saying like, look, you know, I'm, this isn't going to be a one whole group, you know, what, what, at what point is this still an acceptable, use of a technique and what does it tell me about my natural point of aim and my, and my because like you know you got to get a little sloppy to be able to to apply things in in other departments right like you, you well you know you guys are hunting like there hunting has its own subconscious shot timer right and that's going to make things very exciting and but you don't know the time hack you need to shoot in and so you're doing a lot of things in a very short period of time and managing stress and, and your fundamentals. Um, but you need to kind of expand the acceptable error 
and then and then trying to work within those parameters right if what, what you know kind of what i'm calling like what i, I um on on your site I, I briefly said like well you know i'm going to shoot inside of 500 and here's how i figured that out like i can read the wind to three miles an hour and i took my shooter bracket and i added three miles an hour to wind to that and said okay like i feel comfortable taking a shot inside of 500 even though with my six five whatever i could shoot you know and probably hit it double that i, I wouldn't and 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 that's because the the gun number you know past you know let's say it's a six mile an hour gun now at a thousand three plus or minus three miles an hour wind has made that bracket bigger than the kill zone of the animal right and and and, and um and but nobody is looking at that chris nobody is looking at those metrics but it's but it's it's an interesting thing not not because I want to harp on hunters, but it's an interesting perspective by saying like, look, I'm, I'm a sloppy shooter. I, if I got prone and I did this and I did this and I did this, I could, but you know, it's a dick move to gut shot an animal. Right. And, and I want to do that. So let's think about like, how would you problem solve? And then, and then say like, you know, if I'm going to shoot animal for me personally, I think it's fun as hell to try to get as close as you can. Cause it's hard. And I think that's exciting. So I never think about taking a long shot. I always think about taking a close shot. But that acceptable error is something that isn't openly discussed because it's not super sexy, right? We got the you know dude drawing from concealment to take a shot in under a second kind of stuff that's out there or, or blasting away like tactical kind of stuff. But then it's like, well how do we make reality sexy? Like that would be, that would be kind of cool, right? Like let's make. Reality's not sexy, Chris. It's, but it it's not be, sexy. It's, right? um, it, it could be. Um, yeah. That those, but it, it but it's also kind of a, a, a fun frontier. Right. And, and, and then you still have decades of experience that you could draw from in context to say, let's, let's, let's have this conversation and let's, let's explore reality in a way that, that helps us. Um, but that wobble zone thing, like, man, you know, we're, it, it, we may or may not be perfect, but how much error are we willing to accept? And can you justify that intellectually with, with your knowledge base? Right. So, um, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, one of the big things out there is, is like caliber speed and, and rifle weight because of, of recoil. And rather than just leaving it like totally wild and open, what, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, if, if, if a shooter eventually wind is going to get us all right. So mm -hmm. if, if you're in that department, then you want to have your bullet going faster. But mm -hmm. the ability to shoot a super tight group is going to come down to fundamentals and recoil management. And that balance, I don't think, is at a, at a, at a good spot right now, right? Because people are kind of misusing those things. But like, how do you help guide somebody towards making a responsible choice? Because some of the answers that I hear on some YouTube channels 
are like, you know, you watch all this stuff and then they say, you know, it just comes down to you to make the right choice for what you need. And I, and I feel like so many shooters, like they just want to be told like, Oh, six, five Creedmoor sounds like the right thing for me or, or, um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it comes down to the ability to read wind and manage recoil. But is there a metric that you use or is there, uh, a test that you use to help guide towards the correct choice for that particular shooter and their particular skill level. Cause the answer I'm telling you is not saying I'm going to give you five, uh, you know, we, I got, I got GT dasher, BRA, BR, um, you know, pick one of those. Like, no, that's not the answer. Right. So if I say like, Kalen, I want to go, if you get on Facebook right now, right. You, you see like, you, you're going to find a question today of, I want to shoot a thousand yards. What do I need? What do you use as diagnostic measurements to tell it's, somebody this is what you're looking for? So um, I actually just did a video. Um, I tried to go live on, on um, I went live for the Modern Day Rifleman Network. It was about a 30 minute little live session and I recorded it on my big camera. Um, but I tried to do it on Instagram and I did a, a whiteboard Wednesday and I just put up 10 cartridges on the, on the whiteboard and compared their performance at 500 yards, 800 yards and a thousand yards. Um, and I assigned each of those cartridges a recoil value, um, recoil value. Number one on the lowest end would be a two, two, three Remington shooting 77 grain bullets at about 2,850 feet a second and recoil recoil value 10 was a 300 PRC shooting 230 grain A tips at about 2,850 feet a second, 2,900 feet a second. So we looked at the performance, um, and at 500 yards, which is kind of the limitation that that I would hope that most hunters are are holding themselves to unless they're super proficient and they're training all the time. And, and I'm not somebody that's going to be like, no, you shouldn't do that. Hey dude, like if you want, like if I, I don't want to be told, I don't want to be told by anybody what to do. Uh, nobody likes to be told by anybody what to do. So if those are within your comfort zone, then badass dude, get after it. But realistically and reasonably, most people are going to be shooting inside 500 yards. And then we look at the energy comparisons. We look at the wind comparisons and we say, okay, well, you think this 300 PRC is going to be the way to go. Um, but let's look at a lighter recoiling cartridge that has equivalent performance in the wind and equivalent performance when it comes to terminal energy on the target or terminal terminal velocity on the target when it impacts when you compare a 65 prc to a 300 300 prc there literally is no comparison like if i'm shooting 500 yards and in and i'm by myself what's the most important aspect of that in a hunting scenario chris to you what is the most important aspect Re recoil management inside of 500 wind and recoil management inside of 500 for sure so if I can read the wind within five miles an hour with both of those cartridges, I'm going to be able to hit the vital zone size of, the, of whatever, you know, a mule deer size animal. Then if I go 
okay, recoil management, 300 PRC. If I've got a target at 400 yards, I'm shooting by myself and I've got to shoot off a tripod in some sort of weird position, I'm not going to see my impact. It's not happening, okay? So then the the realistic or the most, in my personal opinion, the most reasonable or, or responsible choice would be to go, let's go 6.5 PRC when I know that I'm going to be able to manage the recoil of that cartridge. I'm still going to be able to have the same wind performance, if not a little bit better. And my shot placement is going to be more uh, more precise because I'm going to be able to, to manage the recoil of that cartridge. Now, on the other hand, you know, from a professional standpoint, well, I'm not so worried about recoil management when I'm shooting at targets at 800 yards and beyond, because by the time, if I have a good shooting position, by the time I recover from recoil, the dwell time is, is just short enough that I'm going to be able to recover and watch the bullet impact the target. So therefore a 300 PRC or a 300 wind mag shooting heavy bullets might be a better option. Um, because, well, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to argue with seven millimeter performance. Uh, when it comes to projectiles and weight versus speed and sectional density and all that stuff. But um, we got to start critically looking at these things. And that's one of the things that I'm, I'd like to start doing a little bit more of is cartridge comparisons and having those conversations and saying, hey, well, you guys might think this is a badass idea, but have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And what is more important to you? I, I'm actually so, glad that we... No, I'm actually glad that we we talked about that. I'm I'm framing out a video I put on YouTube with can six five Creedmoor kill an elk, and again, like you talked about it, people a lot of hunters focus on things like um, connect energy and impact velocity, right? And the, you know they know their numbers, but what are their numbers? What are their uh, what are their numbers to confidently place a bullet exactly where they need to, out to what distance, right? Uh, what wind speed they need to be able to call the wind down to to get, again, effective shots on target. They don't know their numbers, and they don't know um, what it, what uh, their capability is behind the rifle. They only know the rifle's capability, right? And so I think that's very interesting um, that, that uh, Chris framed it that way. I've never actually thought about that because no one is dissecting those numbers about themselves, right? They just think that, oh, I've got this 300 PRC. I should be able to kill an elk with it. Well, yeah, you'll be able to kill an elk with it. Granted, you get you you put the bullet exactly where you need to, but how many times have you put yourself in that situation where you're you know four or five hundred yards standing, and you know you've got thirty seconds to pull a shot on your target? So, um, it's good stuff. I pulled up that. Um, I guess you can't see, but the the, the, the whiteboard yep. that you have, um, and. People have probably already all looked at this, but but I got a I just took a picture. So so you've got these um, from smaller to bigger, and then you've got a velocity, you've got a bullet and a velocity, and then you've got inches drop. That's what I, I'm assuming that first number. Mm-hmm. Yep, it, the first number and is then inches the second drop. number. The, the second number is wind drift for 10 mile an hour full oh, value. Okay. In and then what's that fraction? Uh, that is remaining velocity over remaining energy. Gotcha. That, yeah, that man, that, that's fascinating. I, you said, um, 
I didn't take into account the ability to get back on target at distance, probably because I don't really shoot that far. Um, but but that that that's something that definitely needs to be discussed because if you have something that recoils, but you just pull, you get back on target, and then you can see your impact, then you can't then find it's, it. Um, yeah, that's it. That's interesting. But I, yeah, um, man, I, I, the, these are the conversations that need to happen more so than just you know saying, well, inches of drop is important in some contexts. Right. But in so many, it's not right. It's not. And, but it is sometimes, but it, but in sometimes it is yeah. nowadays with lasers, uh, you know, and, and, and then yeah. just, just to the, the, these are the kinds of things that I'm, I'm talking about on the straight dope podcast, but just from, uh, you know, here I'm pulling out all the data that I can and saying, maybe we need to rethink about this. Not me saying, you know, I know everything, but rather, Say just saying this stuff needs to be thought about. And when somebody pulls out a ballistic calculator and says, my cartridge is better because it's got 56 inches of drop versus your 58 inches of drop, I think that's looking at it wrong because most shooters are going to miss from wind, not because drop. And so... Mm -hmm when you write out the wind drift of 10 miles an hour, what, what that says to me is, you know, th those are the numbers that most people are going to want to look at. And then I would have overlooked the ability for you to determine not only your, your, your shootability range, but also the ability for you to get back on target because to me I'm trying to do things up close but yet there are times where you're going to do things far away and so those questions based on your philosophy of use are going to be extremely important right if you're taking a shot at a at a vehicle and you're trying to take out its engine block at 1200 yards fucking you know during the, you know, maintaining a sight picture is not as important as being able to get back on and having that energy. Right. Um, and, and, but, but that, that's why it's so important, I think, to have, um, a group of people that can share input like that and say, well, you know, this is what you forgot to think about because all we're seeing right now is somebody with their AB calculator saying if I put a 22, you know, caliber bullet in a 300 wind mag case, I'm going to, you know, kick ass at this next comp. And, and, um, right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, there's a dimension where, where that might be true, but there's all these other ones where it doesn't. And so how many, how many of those circles in the Venn diagram can we get to overlap together that, that takes perspective and, and the perspective mm -hmm that we gain helps everybody. Um, and, and, and I think, I think, man, that, that kind of thing, um, that gets me really excited. Like I totally dork out hearing people talk about this kind of stuff. Cause those are the calibers that everybody wants to know what they should get. And the yeah. answer is basically on that board and they can answer it themselves. Right. Man, this is a, uh... 
this episode, we, we covered a lot of freaking ground here, man. We covered all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm looking at the chat feed where we're making timestamps and it's like, this is going to be an episode y'all want to listen to for sure. So, um, we're almost where I think we're two, what, yeah, two hours, Phil? Two hours. Yeah. That, and that was, that was just so, so, so easy. Um, Chris, we love having you on, man. We, we need to do this more often, and, and um, we want to make sure we come over and and do a couple of, and do a couple episodes with you at the, uh, on the on the rifle craft side of the house. Easy, so, man. Uh, or the, the straight dope podcast. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I, I yeah, it's fun to chat. I like I like chatting with shooters. Yeah, it's it's good. It's and I, I like chatting with data minded, you know, super data focused people like yourself. It's because you have the, you have a good, a, a good ability to like say, okay, well, this is not necessarily anecdotal. This is not anecdotal. We can actually like dig into this and, and grab some numbers out of it and, and, and have a meaningful conversation. So, um, Guys, if you haven't followed Chris Way over um, at Gun Around the Sun is his Instagram handle, um, and go cruise over to RifleCraft with a K dot com and check out his website. Um, if you're really interested in the in the data focused approach of shooting, that's really where you want to be. Um, shoot his targets, submit the targets to his uh, to his analysis, um, and you're going to get some value out. You're going to get a lot of value out of it. So. Um, just Chris, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate your time. We really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with us. Um, everybody's going to benefit from this. Like I said, I have a page, I have a page full of notes here, uh, more video ideas for us, um, that are just going to be, um, more helpful in, uh, for the community in the future. And thanks for what you do for the community as well. Um, you, you showed up here a couple of years ago onto the scene and literally took it by storm because of your approach and your dedication. And we appreciate that just it's as It's an much. honor to be on here. I, you know, you guys are who I look to in the community for answers and inspiration. I, I, I think it's super freaking awesome. What, what, you know, so to me, it's just like, wow, it's exciting just to, just to, just to be able to chat with you guys. And, and, and knowing that, that you love what you do and you're, and you'll literally answer just any dude's questions and help them because you love it. It's not, it, 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 you could tell right away that, that it is your lifestyle. It's not, um, just, just a career choice. And, and, um, that, that, that's immediately clear, uh, when, you know, when we were all introduced to each other and you, you had, there was no real reason for you to answer me. And, and I remember Kayla and I asked you a question and, 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 um, rather than, than answering, you said, what's your phone number? And you called me up and you said, stop doing that. And, and, uh, you know, you, you literally <laughs> like just, just took the time to say like, Hey, listen, you know, I'm going to call you and, and we need to talk for an hour because what you're doing right now is not safe. And, and I, it was like, wow, man, this, this dude like cared enough to, to take an hour out of his day. He didn't know who the hell I am and, um, talk some sense into me. And, and from that point on, it was like, man, I, I, you know, I trust this guy and, and, and he's who I want to, to be like and keep in, in, the, in, in the inner circle. Um, and I, I think that in, in this weird world of shooting, you know, there, there are very few people like, like the two of you. So it's exciting to watch you guys grow and see, you know, the learning curve 
in all areas of sharing, it is really growing, and everybody's trying to basically chase after you guys, which is pretty pretty cool. Well, and I really like the modern-day sniper site, like getting on there and reading the threads and the posts and the comments. Like you, you almost get used to just the, the trolling random garbage, and, and it's hard not to participate in some of that on Facebook, but it's just gone on your site. Like it doesn't, it doesn't exist. People are yeah. like patting each other on the back, saying nice job and offering advice and thoughts. And it's like, holy shit, like this is different and it's cool. Yeah. And that's, that's what we wanted to create. So we appreciate it, man. And, the, and definitely the feeling is mutual, Chris. We're, we're, we're super glad to have you as part of the community and um, like you're, you've already given so much back and uh so we appreciate that too man and everybody else does are you guys so, bow hunters i used to be um i'm going to pick it back up um perhaps this fall mainly because washington's elk season sucks for rifle and um uh, but we've got some other cool stuff planned in this plan this fall that that's going to take a little bit more precedence on the hunting side so I'm not even going to talk about that just yet, but it's going to be pretty fucking rad. When Assassin's Wave disappeared, you know, I didn't have an outlet or, you know, and I, and so like, even though I'm a shoot and I explore and I'm kind of pushing my, my base wider, like I also like goals and without goals, it's really easy to just float around and not really get better. And, and, I, yeah. um, so, so falling into testing stuff, is, is what happened, but I've just set a new goal to try to get invited to the Grand Slam hunter thing, but but I'm mm -hmm. not an archer, so I've been practicing my archery, so offline I'm gonna have to hit you up on uh, oh, cool. some of the, because yeah. you it's it's multidiscipline, right? It's gonna be like pistol, carbine, yeah. bolt gun, shotgun, yep. and archery. So my, my new goal, I told Travis, Shida, how do I get invited? I'm gonna win, <laughs> but I don't. I have no I like business it. shooting a bow and arrow, so uh, I got a lot of work to do, and I think I'm gonna do it using the same stuff we talked about today. But I, now that I have a new goal, you'll um, you'll do fine. I gotta, you know, I gotta get those wheels turning. I'm pretty good with a pistol, carbine, bolt gun, but shotgun and um, archery, you know, I'm a total jerk with. So. <laughs> Well, that'll be a good, that'll be good for another episode, man. I appreciate your time, Chris. Thanks everybody out there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the modern day sniper podcast. And, uh, you guys know the drill, keep your face on the gun and we'll see you guys Peace, later. Guys. Thanks Chris. Bye everybody.